you'd open your Bible to the book of James. We're going to be looking at the book of James this morning, and uh, I'm going to start a series in the book of James on Sunday morning, and then on Sunday night, uh, I'm going to be preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've always wondered how to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm going to tell you how not to understand it on Sunday night. It's not the most encouraging book in the Bible. It's one of the most discouraging books in the Bible, uh, and that is for a reason. And so we'll find that out tonight. Uh, the book of James is all about uh, faith, and as you see on the screen there, it's uh, faith on trial, although the, the fonts didn't turn out quite right on the PowerPoint. We'll get that straight uh, in the next service. Uh, it's, is it a faith that works? That's what faith is on trial. Does it work? Does your faith work? Is it a, it is a, is it a genuine faith? It is, a saving, is it a saving faith? So there's five chapters in the book of James. The word faith is used 13 times in those five chapters. And it's concerned with how we live out our life in a variety of situations. Each one of those situations puts our faith on trial, so to speak. In fact, your faith is on trial today. And so is mine. Now, you may not know it, but, but God has allowed you to come into some season of testing in order to examine the integrity of your faith. So we want to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'll read those verses. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed are scattered abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, James uh, stands in a pretty unique position uh, to examine our faith, because he was unlike any of the rest of the writers of the New Testament. He's not a disciple. Did you know that? He's not one of the apostles. He's a later disciple because he is the brother of Jesus Christ. He's the son of Mary and Joseph, but he doesn't identify himself as the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might think, well, it, wasn't that James, the disciple, who wrote this book? No, if you remember, James, the disciple, had his head chopped off early in the book of Acts, and that's when the scattering took place. The persecution, the scattering, the dispersion that this James talks about goes all the way back when that James had his head cut off. So he's writing to all those folks who've been scattered all over the world. And he, never, he, he joins only one other New Testament writer in identifying himself by only one word, servant, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has at least four implications. Number one, it implies absolute obedience. That's what James is saying about himself. The, slaves, the slave knows no law but his master's word. He's completely devoted to his master. Second, it implies absolute humility. Uh, this is the word of a man who thinks not of his privileges, but of his duties, not of his rights, but of his obligations. He is to be a servant of the Lord. It implies absolute loyalty. It is the word of a man who has no interest of his own because what he does, he does to serve his king, to serve his Lord. And yet in back of it, in back of all this, it also implies a sense of honor because this word, servant of the Lord, 
was also used in the Old Testament for men like Moses and Isaiah. So this is a high title, although James uses it very humbly. He is a servant of the Lord, and he sets a good example for us at the very beginning. Now, genuine faith, and this is what we need to understand, genuine faith must be surrendered to God's service at all times, under all circumstances, and at any cost. At all times, under all circumstances, and at any cost. Elsewise, according to James, it's not a faith that he would consider as a faith that saves. Now, as James begins to talk about the testing of our faith, those times and seasons when our faith is put on trial, we need to look at verse 3. Because in verse 3, the word testing uh, comes from a word that means that by which something is tried and proved. That by which something is tried and proved. G. Campbell Morgan, a great preacher from days gone by, said, A bridge is tested as to its power to carry weight because its work is to bear weight. You remember that bridge in Florida this past year at that university when they were testing it, how it collapsed. It fell. It didn't pass the test. Uh, so the and metal is tested as its power to its power of resistance because it is the job of metal to resist. So the Christian is tested by God. That person's faith is tested to see if they are equipped and ready to do that which God has called them to do. And that which often serves as the vehicle of testing is trouble. So in verse two, James says, "Count it all joy." when you fall into various kinds of, and the Greek word he uses is a word that's been translated trials in some translations. It's been translated trouble in others, and it may be temptation in yours, and I need to tell you what it means. It means, the Greek definition is, a trial approving. The trial of a man's fidelity, his integrity, his virtue. If it relates to enticement, to sin, it is temptation, it means temptation, but it can also mean adversity, affliction, or trouble. And I think here, I want to say that in this verse, James specifically refers to trials or troubles because down a little further, down a little further, he gives us a good explanation of how to respond in temptation, and we're going to talk about that at a later time. Now, he's talking to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, James is. Who in the world is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about Jews. That's not what this has reference to. As you know, that many times in the New Testament, references that were used to the Jew, about the Jews in the Old Testament are now applied to the Christian church, like you are God's chosen people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That was a reference to Israel in the Old Testament. It's a reference to the church in the New Testament, the Israel of God, the true Jew, one who is circumcised in heart, not in, by the letter, but in spirit. And so these are Christians who are scattered abroad. And he may be writing to Christian Jews who are scattered abroad, but certainly he's writing to believers. Those early believers fell into trouble due to persecution, and it tested the metal of their faith. Now, what trouble today, some of you may be facing trouble, what trouble is testing your faith? As we look at James, these first four verses of James, the title of the message today is How Faith Faces Trouble. And you'll notice James does not say if you encounter various trials. He says when you encounter 
various trials. Many Christians think if they obey the Lord, uh, they will never have trouble. Uh, but the Bible gives us abundant testimony that all of God's people encounter trials. And there are people today uh, in this sanctuary, I'm sure, who've fallen into trouble and it's testing your faith. Uh, and as I said, that word in verse 2 translated uh, trials can also mean temptation, and we'll talk about that in greater detail in another message. So James knew that these believers would find themselves in a thousand different settings that would test their faith. So this little book talks about difficulty, it talks about perplexity, it talks about dealing with people in different stations of life, like the poor and the rich, it talks about temptation, it talks about anger, it talks about obedience to the word, it talks about wisdom or discernment, it talks about the tongue, it talks about submission to God and prayer. All of these turn out to be tests of our faith. How we respond when it's time to speak. How we respond when it's time to greet someone who comes to church. All of these situations put our faith to the test to see if it, a faith, if it is a faith that works. So how faith faces trouble. Number one, there are several points to this message, and here's number one, trouble is a fact of the Christian life. It's just a fact of life. If you have it in your life today, you're not alone. God's people are not exempt from trouble. We remember Job, Job in the Bible. As a matter of fact, some people believe that Job is the earliest book in the Bible, the oldest book in the Bible. Not Genesis, but Job may have been the first one written. And so there is Job, who has this incredible period of difficulty in his life. Doesn't look like God's paying any attention. But Job's faith is being tested, and it's being tested under the sovereignty of God. And then we move further into the middle of the New Testament, and we run into a man like David. David, who was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who was tested with trouble. He was also a man who was tested with temptation. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. You can expect trouble in the Christian life because it's going to come. Now, trouble is the fact that, that I have faced, I'll face it again, and I can honestly say uh, this, this week I even told my wife, I went home one day and I said, you know, I'm so thankful for the hardships that I've endured, that we've endured, because as I look back on them, I can see how they have prepared me for some of the things I'm doing today and how the Lord has worked in my life. Now, I can look back on it, but I also have to say that in some of those tests, I failed at some of those tests. So if I find myself failing in lessons that I thought I had learned, God's going to make me take that course over again, and none of us graduate until we go to heaven. Uh, so, number one, trouble is a fact of the Christian life. Number two, trouble puts our faith under a strain. Uh, faith can have an impact when you're in trouble, and it can help you face trouble. But as you know, trouble can also impact your faith. Trouble stresses our faith to the breaking point. Have there been times when under the stress of trouble and trial, you were tempted to abandon your faith? You were tempted to throw down your Bible and say, forget it, God. If this is the way life is, you're not up there and you're not helping me. Listen to this testimony 
from the Apostle Paul. If you want to see if, if, uh, if people like Paul ever had moments when they were just like you, listen to this. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He said, We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And I read that passage of Scripture just to remind you that even great men of God can be shaken by trouble. Trouble can do two things in a Christian's life. Number one, it destroys misplaced faith. That is faith in yourselves and in your own resources. It lets you know that there are things that you can't handle. Mel came in my office today. This week we played with a little plastic globe ball in Vacation Bible School, and she picked that ball up, and I said to her, Mel, you're trying to hold the whole world in your hands, and you can't do it. And isn't that the way it is? Sometimes that's what we do. In fact, it was just a joke for her, because I know she'd been worrying about everything with Al. Sometimes we try to hold the whole world in our hands. We try to carry it all on our shoulders and handle it, but we just can't do it. And sometimes trouble comes to show us that. Second, it presses us closer to God so that our hope in Him is in Him alone. G. Campbell Morgan says, sometimes temptation comes as a test, and if I fall, what has it done for me? He says, it reveals a point of weakness in my life. And it makes me realize that in that situation, I need to trust in God and in God alone because the only way I'll be able to battle that temptation is not in my strength, but in my own. So trouble and temptation test the metal of our faith. And many times my trouble has forced me to throw myself at God's mercy for there was no other way to get through it rather than to look to God. And you know that already. Some of you I see and I already know that you've done that. Number three, the only way out of trouble is to go through it. That's unfortunate, but it's just true. James said the testing of your faith produces endurance, so let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God expects us to endure trial. That doesn't mean he wants us to put up with it. It doesn't mean he wants us to be satisfied with it. It, it means that he wants us to face our trouble with our faith in him. So as our faith is stretched to the limit, as it's tried or proved out of that experience, our faith grows stronger. We develop a strength of character with the help of God, and, and it helps us to have a positive approach to life in the midst of trouble. I remember uh, many of you have heard me talk about Miss Wanda Vincent and some of you uh, folks who are older, you, you knew Miss Wanda. Miss Wanda gave me a devotional book in 1986, Christmas of 1986, that she had read uh, while she was facing cancer in Mobile, Mobile Infirmary. And on one of those pages, she had written from her hospital room and she had annotated it from, Mobile, from the hospital in Mobile Infirmary. The choice of attitude is always open to everyone. I've never forgotten that. The choice of attitude, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, 
It doesn't have to shape your attitude. You can still have faith in God. You can still exude confidence. As a matter of fact, that is the witness of your faith to stand in the face of trouble trusting God. It is standing still in the face of trouble with your hope in God like the Israelites were told to stand still when they were on the shore of the Red Sea. The army of Pharaoh was coming behind them. They had nowhere to go, and yet Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of God. Uh, It is standing still while shackled by problems and yet singing praises to God like Paul and Silas did when they were arrested, beaten, chained, and thrown into a dark Philippian jail. It's knowing these things. God is sovereign over our trials. God is using our trials and our troubles to make us stronger, and He is working it to His good and our glory. We have to submit to the refining process and go through the trial with our faith in God, and when we come out on the other side, we will be more of what God wants us to be than when we went in. And while we walk in the furnace of trouble, Warren Wearsby said, when God puts His children in the furnace, God keeps His eye on the clock and His hand on the thermostat. W.A. Criswell told the story of a man who was watching a butterfly, and I'm sure you've heard this story too. I've heard it. The butterfly was trying to escape from its cocoon in which it had been in prison, and the little butterfly was just striving to break through the cocoon, and so the man felt sorry for the butterfly, and he took a penknife and he slit the cocoon open so the butterfly could easily get out. And the problem was, when the butterfly got out, it couldn't fly, because the purpose of struggling through the cocoon is to help the butterfly strengthen its wings so that it can fly. And so sometimes if trouble is removed from our lives, it doesn't allow us to become the people that God intended us to be. Finally, the joy of trouble is that our difficulty becomes God's opportunity. James said, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. And I know it's hard to jump up and down when you're in the middle of trouble. I know that. I don't jump up and down when I'm in the middle of trouble either. But at least we can know that God is in control. At least, at least we can know that God is working His purpose. And at least we can know that if we trust Him, we'll come out on the other side of our trouble. Now that may be in glory, but if we come out on the other side in glory, we will certainly know that God was in control. He'll answer all our questions, and everything will be okay. In 2015, for a solid year, I had been driving back and forth, sometimes twice a week, three hours one way, because my dad was dying with Parkinson's, and he was on a feeding tube. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, I want to be in the right place at the right time. I don't want to be somewhere, uh, you know, I was at a church I was serving. I I had to work. You know how that is. I had to be where I had to be, and I I wanted to be where I needed to be when I needed to be there, and I didn't have any idea how God was going to work that out. And one Wednesday night after prayer meeting, I called my mom, and my dad had just been having a lot of trouble not really dying kind of trouble, but just trouble. And I told my wife that night, I said, I, I really feel like tonight, I just, something tells me I just need to go home. And I went home, I, drew, I left that night at 9 o'clock, and I got there at midnight. My dad had a rough night that night. We were up all night that night. And he was on hospice, and the next morning the hospice nurse came in and said he needs to be put on oxygen. 
and she no sooner had walked out of that room till my dad went in a coma and never said another word and the next day he died. I was in the right place at the right time. In the right place at the right time. And I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God had made sure that in my trouble that he was sovereign over it, that he was taking care, he was step by step walking with me through that situation. This week at BBS, the, the children sang a little song that touched my heart every time I heard them lift it heavenward. It's called, You Are God Alone. And here's one of the stanzas. You are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne. You were God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. And that's what we have to say as we walk in the middle of trouble. So how would God have you affirm that this morning as you stand in the middle of your trouble? Would he have you just sit still in your pew and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but I know, God, you're going to get me there. Would he have you come to this altar to one of these pews this morning and just sit here as an evidence or testimony of your hope in him? Or would he have you right here in the middle of this service like Paul and Silas, to just break out in praise to him and say, Lord, you're going to get me through. I don't know how or when, but you are in control, and you're God alone. Let me pray with you. Lord, I pray for those that may be in, in the middle of deep difficulty today. I've been there, Lord. Didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't know how I was going to get out. But as I look back, you've always gotten me through. And one day, Lord, you'll get me through to glory. My family may not understand it, but there, Lord, in your presence, all my questions will be answered. And I will rejoice in the trouble that you brought me through. I pray, Lord, that today, if there's a person here who needs to make a decision, a commitment, maybe for the first time needs to follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing?